us. And, and that's why we're here today. Uh, we're here to learn more about his word, but to learn more about what he has for us. And I want to preach to you today about all things new. If you could take that thought, all things new, if you look at one verse of scripture, Revelation 21, look at verse number five, Revelation 21 and verse number five, it says this, and he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, right, for these words are true and faithful. And if you look at that, you'll understand that these people that are coming into this heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, heaven itself, many of them have endured the tribulation and they've endured life where they have been lied to by the Antichrist. They've been deceived by the false prophet. They've been uh, deceived by Satan. But Jesus adds these words at the end. He said, behold the one that sits on the throne. We just got from the great white throne. Behold the one who sits on the throne. Says, behold, I make all things new. And what he's doing is going to do a brand new thing, a beautiful thing. But he says this after it, write it down. Because why? These words are not deceptive, but these words are true and faithful. Amen. Father, will you help us to understand these words today? Will you help us to hold to them, Lord, and bring close to our heart? Will you help us to lean in today and to press in so that we can hear from the word of God and hear from the spirit of God? Lord, be with the people here. <clears throat> Lord, we love them. We love all the people that are here. And thank you, God, for them coming. And I ask you, God, that you would just fill them up. Lord, as we said earlier, as we, you would open the windows of heaven, God, that you'd hear us as we call out to you. But God, right now, that you'd do like you did in the Old Testament time, but Lord, in a spiritual way, and you'd pour down some heavenly manna upon us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask it all together. Amen. And you can be seated. I'm going to rush right through this. I'm going to kind of go in and get started. I, I hope that uh, I hope you enjoyed Sunday school. If you came to Sunday school this morning. I told the, the first service, we had like uh, 70 something in the first service. Patty said there was supposed to be more in the second service. We had a lot of people that get, didn't get to come and stuff, but uh, we're, we're filling up both of the services and stuff. And so y'all pray for us and the thoughts of what we need to do whenever we all come back together. I, I like having the two services only for one reason. I like to preach twice. That's the only reason. I do not like having people separated from one another. I do not like you missing the opportunities of like what we had in the first service. Uh, we had Gary and, and uh uh, uh, Gary and uh, Megan Rouse that joined the church this morning and their daughter Hope and so God is adding to the church as he sees fit and uh, one of the things that I loved when talking with them about uh, them wanting to join the church they said just amazing the word of God just the word of God and learning and just being here in this revelation series for the last probably uh, since we shut down and all that stuff said just amazing to hear the word of God so that's encouraging because most of the time people the first thing they ask is what kind of songs do you sing and then what do you you offer for the students or the kids and stuff. And I'm glad that people are coming in because it's the word of God. Because if we preach the word of God, I think those other things that come and work themselves out. But this morning, as you look, look what it says in that verse one more time. Revelation 21 verse five, it says, and he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. Uh, I love that word. I love because Philippians chapter four, verse 13 says what? It says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. The Bible talks about that we are to be all things to all people. But Jesus says right here, behold, I make all things new. And he said, write these things down because these words are true and faithful. So first of all that we got to look at is that God says that he is going to give us something new. First of all, there's going to be new places as this scripture says. There's going to be new places. And when you say that, it's not like, okay, we're traveling to new places and doing those things. But the Bible is going to give us a description of this new earth and this new heaven. It's going to be something that goes on. So we're going to deal first of all with what the Bible says in Revelation 21. Look at verse one and two. It says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. You need to remember those two words, passed away. And there was no more sea. 
And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The Bible says that this new Jerusalem, or what they called this holy city, was coming like a bride adorned for her husband. And I want to talk to you, first of all, about the new heaven. The Bible says that this new heaven is also called, in other scriptures, it's called the heavenly Mount Zion. Do you remember when we talked about, I think it was maybe in Revelation chapter 11, it may have been even on in, uh, into the book there, but we talked about the 144,000 that were saved, that were sealed, uh, 12,000 from each tribe and stuff. And when we get over to the end of it all, after they've ran their whole experience through the tribulation, because they'll, they'll be able to endure all the way through the tribulation, because the Bible says that Satan will not be able to touch them because they have the seal of God on them. He won't be able to kill them. And Brother Carl, you'll remember that we talked about that we saw this, it was called Mount Zion, Mount Zion or Mount Zion. And it says that they were there on top of that mountain, but it also says they were praising God, the 144,000. But the word next says they were before the throne of God. Now we know that God's throne was not here on this earthly one yet, but Jesus in the millennial reign, it is here, okay? So there is this thing that the Bible describes as a heavenly city and it's called the heavenly Mount Zion. Even Hebrew says it like this. It says in chapter 12, but ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto a city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, not the earthly Jerusalem, but a heavenly Jerusalem. And look what he says is in this heavenly city that's on top of Mount Zion in heaven, right there in the presence of the living God. And it's the heavenly Jerusalem. It says, you've come before an innumerable company of angels. In other words, hosts of thousands of thousands of ten thousands of angels that are in this place. You also find out the general assembly is there. And the church of the firstborn. And you say, who is that? The general assembly and the church of the firstborn. When you use the word church and you use the word assembly in the Bible, in the Greek it's translated as these words, ekklesia. And ekklesia means a group of people that come together who have been called out. And what it means is, is God called us out of sinfulness. He called us out of death. Brandon was talking a while ago and I got excited. He was talking about why would God come to someone who was so low, who was so unworthy, Seth said, and in his testimony, we all testify about it. But what had happened is this right here, is that he took us in our trespasses of sins. We were dead in our trespasses of sins. And he has given us life and he's brought us out of there. And he has called us out of that and brought us together. So when you look at this word, the general assembly, we understand that in the Old Testament, they were called a church or a group gathering and they were called an assembly of God's people. They were called the children of Israel. And in heaven, there is an innumerable number you can't count all the angels that are there. There's the general assembly. All of the Old Testament saints of God are going to go into this heavenly city. Amen. And not only that, but also, look at what it says, to the church of the firstborn. Who is the church of the firstborn? That's us. Who is the firstborn? That's Jesus. The firstborn wasn't Cain. And some of you are going, well, don't you mean Adam? No, Adam was formed. He was the first formed. Cain was the firstborn, right? But it wasn't Cain. Cain didn't make it into heaven. We know that. But it's talking about Jesus being the first fruits of the resurrection, the firstborn who never died again. And the church of the firstborn is the church of Jesus. And that's who we are, right? And then it says, and in heaven, it says this right here. It says, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the blood, and to the blood of sprinkling, this is great right here, that speaks better things than that of Abel. 
You remember Abel, don't you? Abel was the first one that was killed. And he's the first one, uh, the first homicide in the Bible. And who was the first murderer in the Bible? Cain, his brother. And the Bible says that God came and he talked to him and he said that he heard the blood of Abel crying out from the ground. You know what that blood was crying for? Vengeance. 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 You need to repay him for what he has done to me. Cain did this. It cries for vengeance. But Brother Reggie, the blood of Jesus Christ is better than the blood of Abel because it speaks better things. What does the blood of Jesus Christ cry out for all of us? Forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. For they know not what they do. It cries out for our forgiveness and our mercy. Amen. You know, our thoughts of heaven sometimes is really, it's, it's, it's misconstrued. It's just messed up. Our thoughts of heaven, if you ask any of the general men in the church today what heaven's going to be like, if they're a fisherman, they think there's going to be bass 20 pounds in the crystal sea. If you ask any golfer, they're going to say it's going to be the greenest hills that we'll ever play golf on. You ask any woman, it's going to be a shoe store wall to wall or gate to gate, right? You ask, and and people do that. Even people have written books today that are in the mindset of taking earthly things and translating them into a heavenly thing. We, We have books that are written about people who have said they have gone there, children who said they've gone there, but then when they grow up, they say that they made it up and that it was all this stuff, and and, and, and everybody thinks just like the uh, wonderful life with Jimmy Stewart, and, and when we all die, we all sprout wings, and we do all that stuff, and we look at scripture, and then when the preacher preaches about what it's going to be like and about the things that, that are worldly and you're trying to bring into it, then you're confused, and you're going, well, well, I thought heaven would be like this. Even today, when we go beside the casket, people say, oh, I, I, and please don't take offense to me, I'm I'm using just illustrations, okay? But well, Grandma is walking the streets of gold right now. Grandma is uh, over there by the gate of pearl right now, you know, and they're walking on the foundations and all that. But that doesn't happen until the new heaven. That's not what's going on now. You say, well, what happens, Brother Steve, when we die? The Bible says that our spirit is separated from the body. The body will go into the ground, and it will await its resurrection day to be put and changed into a glorified body. But our spirit is separated, and the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, it will return unto the Lord who gave it. The Bible says our spirit will be in the presence of God. Paul was very confident when he said these things. I'm confident to say that being absent from the body, I am present with the Lord. And he knew, he said, I'm betwixt. It's cool, King James says betwixt. We say between. I just thought that betwixt was a little bit fancier. Y'all didn't, but it's okay. But I'm between two things. Paul said, I want to stay here and teach you more of God's word and want to see Israel saved. He said, but I'm also between going and being before my holy God. He said, he said I'm, I'm between these two things. He said, you know, I, I want to cry out for God to deliver me from being beheaded in order to share the gospel more, but I'm also ready because I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. You know, I, I'm ready to go to do all of these things. And so if you stop and think about it, people put all of their thoughts into heaven and they say, it's going to be like this. But is that really what heaven will be like? The Bible says in Peter, it says all these things will melt with fervent heat. The Bible declares to us that this stuff is just going to go away with. It's going to be dissolved. All this stuff, it's going to be changed in such a way. But the problem is, is that we put so much, so much emphasis on what happens to us here. And we're trying to take it. Even in the point where people try to make it look that way. But the Bible says this, that I have not seen and the ear has not even heard the things that God has prepared for them that love him. We don't. We can't put into fleshly terminology what God's got waiting in heaven. He told us in John 14, he says, let not your heart be troubled. He said, you believe in God? He said, believe also in me. 
He said, in my father's house are many mansions, abodes. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you. He said, but I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And we know that he proposed unto us salvation. We accepted him and we are engaged and married unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the marriage supper someday, we'll have a great celebration. But what awaits us is what he's gone to prepare for us. And we can't take anything, even Cade's Cove and the beauty thereof, even the Gulf state and all of the beauty of the ocean and the sea, even all of those things, even the rolling hills in Scotland and all that, we, we can't take all that in Ireland. We, we can't take that and go, that's what heaven is. The, when the Bible says that we can't even understand it with our eyes and don't even comprehend it with our ears. Listen, some people say this, say, they say you're too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. They look at a Christian and go, you're, you're just all caught up in going to heaven all the time. Like, you ain't even no good around here. You're always talking about Jesus. You're always going to church. You're doing that. And you're just no, no earthly good. And I think that that's probably the most uh, incorrect statement that you could ever stay, say. I think that if you are more heavenly minded, then you in turn become more earthly good. I think that those who have fixated their hearts toward heaven, they have put their treasures in heaven. They have set their affection on things above and not on things of the earth. I think it makes them better better at being a citizen of heaven, it makes them better at being a citizen of this world also because they represent a country that is greater than any country here and therefore they have this desire and this push and this motive to do what? To do better, to be better, to act better, to live better. Why? Not because we can do it, because the Spirit does it all in us. I believe that when a believer ceases to be more heavenly minded, then they become ineffective. I think when you as a Christian stop thinking about what awaits you and what is coming to be, I think that is when you become ineffective. Now, I want you to look at this scripture and I want you to tell me what it means. I want you to think about it. Revelation chapter number 12, verse 11 says this, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Look at these words. And they loved not their lives even unto death or unto the death. First of all, when you look at that scripture, I want you to understand these are people that are going through the tribulation. These are not people that are having some kind of trouble here on earth. These are not people that have got a bad doctor report or something's going on. These are people that are going through a time on this earth that Jesus said will be such as no other time in the earth's whole existence. He said it will literally be when hell itself comes up and attacks earth. It will be what we use the phrase that it would be hell on earth. Literally, church, listen to me. It's going to be such a time that the Bible says it's going to be wickedness and evil to where people are going to be starving. It is going to be the Holocaust times a thousand. Do you think Hitler did all those things as he put the people on the trains and led them out to Auschwitz and all of these concentration camps and he starved those people to death? And we see the images in Time magazine and in encyclopedias of those people and their bodies are just, there's nothing but bones, they're just skeletons. We see pictures, Josh, of, of shoes that were taken off of people but cut off their bodies their rings laying out there and he killed over six million of the Jews we have memorials for them in Israel we have memorials for them in Germany we have memorials for them in the United States and we think that was such a horrible bad time but Jesus declared that the tribulation period of seven years pop is going to be worse than any other time that this earth has ever known but look at these words they overcame how do you overcome when you're going through tribulation? Two ways. Number one, by Jesus Christ. You have to cling on the blood of Jesus Christ. You have to hold on. The Bible says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. And look at the next thing. They overcame him by the word of their testimony. What is the word of their testimony? There is none like you. 
No one else can touch my heart like you do. God, I could search for all eternity long and find that there's none like you. They overcame the devil, Beelzebub, Lucifer, the dragon, that old serpent, whatever you want to call him. They overcame him by constantly reminding themselves in their testimonies that God is God and he is good to me. And what awaits me at the end of all of this suffering, what awaits me at the end of this trial is much better than what I'm going through. But the Christian today prays more this way. God, get me out of this. Then God, get me through this. God's not always going to get you out of things. But God says, I'll walk with you. I'll be there every step of the way. I will go with you. And look at these words. They love not their lives unto the death. You know what that means? Do you understand what they're saying there? Is that a true believer, a true Christian, doesn't go, no, 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 I take it back. I don't love Jesus. I don't love Jesus. Just don't, don't, don't take my life. No. Those Christians in those days, the Polycarps, the Ignatiuses, those people that were willing to lay down their life, John Wycliffe, John Huss, who was an assistant to Wycliffe as he went out and he took the word of God and translated into the English language and they took him and burned him there and they used the actual papers that he was writing and changing the Bible into English with to start the fire. They even took his apprentice later and did that. They even went later on in life, dug him up, burned his bones and poured them into the river and said that we'll finally get rid of him. Not knowing that you could kill the body, lay it down in a cold grave, but he had something that you could never take away. They love not their lives, talking about they love not their earthly life more than they love what waited on them past that life. Listen, I've met people before that they just grumble and complain. If you were to give them a ball bearing and tell them it was a piece of gum, they'd flatten it by the evening. They're so just angry, just, just bitter and angry. Call themselves Christians. And I've met some Christians that were 72, 79 years old that would come to church every time the door was open. That when I said, can we hook these lights up, climbed up in the attic, walked across the beams of this thing and put the lights in, even without me being here, did all of that stuff, dialysis three times a week going through all of that, hours and hours, but still every time we had testimony service, he had enough strength in him to stand up and say, I want to thank God for what I'm going through because what I'm going through, people have to sit by me. They have to sit there as we're getting dialysis. It's not like you can get up and leave whenever you want to. They have to sit there and listen to me. It's like they're chained and they, they knew that, that what they were going through didn't matter compared to what they had. There was a young girl at Columbine High School years ago that she was approached by that man, that murderer, that young boy that was going to kill her and he told her to take it all back and to not speak about Jesus and what, are you a Christian? Are you still a Christian? And he killed her. You know why? Because she thought what was waiting was better than what was in the present. And where are the Christians today that think that? Where are the believers today that believe that there's something greater than just what we have here? Where are the Christians today that believe that, listen, what awaits us past death is better than anything that America could offer us. It's better than any stimulus package we could ever get. It's better than any kind of thing the church could even give you. It is all waiting. Jesus said, if it wasn't so, I would have told you because I ain't going to lie to you. 
Right? I put that in in the back, but you know, for emphasis. But listen, the believer who believes in Jesus has a better hope. They have a better land with promises. And listen, they don't fix themselves or fixate themselves on the things that happen on the earth, but they do like Abraham and they look for something better. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10 said that Abraham looked for a city which has foundations, something that is not movable. Amen. It's got foundations. And not only does that city have one foundation, the Bible teaches us later it's got 12. Amen. Listen, he says he fixed, he wanted a city that was fixed and had foundation whose builder and maker is God. And I don't want to get involved in talking about the new heaven just yet because we're going to talk about that later. That'll be next week or sometime. I want to talk to you about the second thing, and that is the new earth. I want to kind of finish what we're talking about here. And I want you to look at the scripture. It says that it was a new earth. Okay, And when that word new in the Greek, it, it, the Greek word is kainos. And kainos means this. It means new in character, new in kind, but made after the similitude of the other one. It, Many people think that when we talk about that God's going to melt the elements with fervent heat in the earth, that God's going to like explode the earth. Even Hollywood thinks God's going to, or, you know, that the earth is just going to explode and do all these things. But what it is, is that God's going to give something new. But what he always does is that, let me just use it like this. Let's say, Andrew, when you got saved, well, we'll use Jacob because you got saved at a young age. Jacob got saved at 18 years old. When Jacob got saved, nothing really on the outside changed about him. I think since then, he thinks he's Samson and he's growing his hair out, but you know, uh, nothing changed. The, the voice didn't change or anything else. All the change happened inside. But when you got saved, you became a new creation. You became new, but it is that kainos. It is that a new after that same kind, but with life. It's the same parts of it all, but God made it new. In other words, God took your oldness and he didn't just throw it away, but he molded you into something new. Amen. And so that's what he says here, just as the scripture teaches us about the resurrection. When our bodies go into the grave, when we die and our bodies are laid down, that body's going to be resurrected out of that grave, reunited with the spirit, and it's going to be changed. It's going to be new, but what it is going to be, it's going to be after the similitude of the first one, Paul says, but it's no longer going to be a terrestrial body where it's bound to dirt, terrestrial and earthly body, but it's going to be a celestial body that is a heavenly body, a spiritual body, a glorified body that has what? No sin. Amen? No sin in it at all. So all of a sudden we look at that. We, we have that body that will move from corruption, or in, for corruption to incorruption. We have a body that will move from being a, a mortal body that's bound to, to death into an immortal body. And just like God did, God showed something new even in those days of Noah. The Bible says that God flooded the earth with a watery judgment. And when God flooded the earth with a watery judgment, what happened? The earth was changed. They even called it this, Brother Bill, when they started out the new world. The new world or the new era is what they started out with. Because why? All the things that they saw and they thought on the earth, it was all changed. Everything was changed. Look at, look at the hurricane this past week. It, it changes the face of the earth. It changes the shorelines and men still and women still go out there and try to push it back up. They go out there, dredge it and shoot it back up on the, the bank. Why? Because it erodes things and it changes things. And many people think that it changes over millions or billions of years. But we can see in just one small moment, one small day, one hour, how a hurricane, even of a magnitude of category two, can change everything just like that. We have tornadoes that come through Alabama that actually pick homes up off of their foundations and throw them in the neighbor's yard. 
We have hurricane or tornadoes that come through that I have literally seen in my life before that after it was over with, they did not break the telephone poles in Pleasant Grove, Alabama. They sucked them up out of the ground. Sucked them. I'm talking about just like sucked them up out of the ground and set them on the side. I've seen two by eight deck boards that were thrown out and they were sticking in the dirt all up to here, just standing up. Why? Because the massive power of all that stuff and it changes it. The Bible talks about it. Look at what Second Peter says. He says, "The Second Peter, uh, excuse me, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, and I do it to do what? In both which to stir you up and your pure minds by way of remembrance." He says, "I'm going to give you something that happened in the past, so that it will stir you up, so that you'll know what's going on." He said, "Why? So that you'll be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior." Look, knowing this first. He said, out of the gate, know this, there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. They will, there will come in the last day. He said, before I get to what I need to stir you up about, he said, know this, that in the last days, people will come and they will scoff, they will mock you. They'll say the things you're sharing as truth are foolish and that they're stupid and that they have no depth to them and they have no truth to them. And he even goes as far as to say, not only are they going to scoff you, but let me tell you why they're going to make fun of you and why they're going to mock the things that you preach, because they're walking after their own lusts. And then look at what he says. And they'll be saying, where is the promise of his coming? You know, you've been saying he's going to be coming. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of. That by the word of God, the heavens of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. I want to stop. And I know that's right in the middle of stuff, in the middle of sentence and English and stuff. But I want to stop right there. He said they're willingly ignorant of this. He said these people right here are going around asking, where is this coming? You've been saying the Lord is coming and all things are still just like they were in the very beginning. And nothing has changed. He says, what, what's going to happen? And, and Peter reminded him, he said, let me tell you, they're willingly ignorant of this. In other words, these people are not just blinded by ignorance. It means they are willingly ignorant. It means that they, you can tell them the truth and they will stick their fingers in their ears and say, you're a liar. It means that you can tell them the truth and they will not understand it. You know why? Because their conscience and their heart has been seared by the rejection of God. And the Bible says they're willingly ignorant of it. And he says this right here. And this is beautiful. Man, this is the best thing of all. It says, by the word of God, the heavens of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. It says, when this world was created, it wasn't a pool table that this, this ball hit this planet and then they all sparked this big old stuff. He's saying, when God created this world, the heavens and this earth, it wasn't this thing where some kind of little bitty amoeba ended up into this periodic that it became a live form and then and then it became a tadpole and Josh after it became a tadpole it dropped its tail like a frog does and then it started doing that and then it became moved from being a frog and turned into a fish and then that catfish grew legs and as that catfish grew legs it crawled up on the land and then that catfish turned into an orangutan and then the orangutan turned into who you are today that's what's being taught in school and in higher education systems about the theory, Darwin's theory, of evolution. you got to know that that's not fact. They, 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 they don't even claim that that's fact. That's why it's called his theory. 
It is just a theory. It is not fact. And listen, do we sit back and wonder why people today, why young people today will go into their rooms and take a rope and put it around the doorknob in order to take their own life? Are we foolish enough to not see that they will go and do any kind of drugs and they're overdosing and they're killing themselves? Are we too foolish to see that young women are going out and giving their bodies to other men in order to become pregnant and do these things? You know why that they have no regard for life? Do you know why this generation has no thought for life? Because they're being told, they're being indoctrinated with the simple thought of that all this stuff is an accident. That the Big Bang Theory is a pool table and this hit this one and this hit that and then the earth became came here and then Mars was there and that really and truly you're no better than a tadpole you only just dropped your tail you're no better than an orangutan you just don't swing from the trees anymore and they're being taught this over and over that they have no value and then they have no life when the Bible plainly says it this way you were fearfully and wonderfully created in the very image of God Almighty. You are not an accident. You are not just a happenstance, but right here it says, by the word of God, all these things consist. When God said water, it was water. When God said land, it was land. God spoke these things into existence. The truth is this. This is not a fairy tale that we're just thinking of heaven. We're not looking for an escapism kind of thing just thinking of heaven. But this is an actual fact. And if we would get back to teaching people that they were born with a purpose, that they were born by the precious and beautiful hands of Almighty God, that they're not just some test tube experiment, that they're not just some kind of, you know, just happenstance or mistake, but that they were formed to be bringing glory unto Him, I think things would change change. I think suicide rates would go down if people knew how valuable that God actually thinks they are. I can't tell you how many times that I thought I was worthless. No value at all when I was lost. Who cares about me? Nobody would care if I died or anything like that. But since I've known him, he's shown me my worth. He's shown me all that he wants me to do. The Bible says this they're willingly ignorant of. They're just saying, you know, it sounds good, but I'm, I don't care. And they're calling you foolish. But it says the earth. Look at these words. Pay attention. Standing out of the water and in the water. Now, what are you, how, how does that happen? How, how does the earth stand out of the water and in the water? Well, you've got to understand the Bible says in Genesis chapter number one that the spirit of the Lord hovered across the face of the earth, across the waters. That the Bible actually, God says that he gathered, it was just water that he gathered together and that the Spirit of the Lord hovered. But he called the land to come up and to be dry ground. He called the land to come out of there. And what happened was that is that as that land came and appeared, then he created all the trees, the herbs of the field, the, the flowers and all the fruit and everything to be able to satisfy and to give all of that wonderful, wonderful glory and nutrients and all that to mankind. The Bible says that the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Let me go back and read just that scripture. It says, for this they are willingly ignorant of, or, and it says, by the, the word of God, the heavens of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. He says, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished, but the heavens and the earth, which are now, it says, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Then he says these words, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day of the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but his long suffering to us. We're not willing that any should die or perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. 
But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? He said, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for what? New heaven. And new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now we look in the scriptures, and if you go and you study the Bible, we'll understand that there are three heavens. The Bible says the first heaven is the heaven that is in the sky, the clouds, and all of the things that are there, and the birds that fly in. The Bible says there is a second heaven, which would be outer space, so to say. It would be out to where the stars and the moon and the sun and all those things are. But Paul declared that he was carried away by the Spirit of God into the third heaven, where the presence of God was. Now we have achieved as mankind and humanity, we go and fly around in that first one all the time, right? Like the little birdies and stuff. Some of y'all don't fly. Some of y'all have taken the scripture where God says, lo, I'll be with you always. Very, very serious. And you just stay on the ground, right? But then we've even achieved a great accomplishment by going into outer space and seeing in that second heaven and stuff. And I'm telling you, there's no rocket ship that's going to take you to the throne of God. Nope. In order to get there, you've got to go to Jesus Christ and find it. Listen, how many of you, this earth is even changing as we speak. How many have ever heard of an island called Tunga Hunga Hapaya? None of y'all are going, what? Hunger, hunger, hippo? No, it's called Tonga Hunga Hapaya, and it's, it's actually an island in 2014 that a volcano erupted and spewed lava and magma all the way up 30,000 feet into the air and created this island. It's off the southwest coast of Asia, and it's just this big, huge island. And most of the time, these things happen. They create this land, and people go, well, brother, see, that's just, that's just lava rocks. You know what I mean? That's just molten lava rocks and all that stuff. It really ain't going to be land or anything else. But this one has actually endured even longer than all of the other other ones. Sometimes they pop up and then go away. This one has endured. And actually, as it was the, the waves in the ocean was coming in and trying to wash away this thing, people thought it would be gone in a matter of no time because it started eroding away. But it was actually the ocean was building it up in strength because this was not made out of just that lava rock. It was so intense in heat in the fire that when it came up, it was even firmer of a foundation than what the lava rocks would be or even the sand would be. And when the ocean came and swept its waves up on its banks, all it did was build a wall to be able to strengthen that thing and to be standing there. How many of you have ever heard of Nishirima? Not, 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 not where the bomb fails and stuff like Hiroshima. But in 2013, it was an island that lasted. There was a volcano that lasted for two years that was spewing out all this stuff. And it created an island off the coast of Japan. And there's still things like this happening all the time. Shelly Islands in North Carolina in 2017, it formed. It was a small sandy island that formed because a southwestern wind storm blew in and blew all of that up. And the sand came up and it withers away, but it creates this island. Here's another one, Zalzala Call, And it began in 2013. How did it begin? There was an earthquake, the magnitude of 7.7, and it actually came up out of the ground, and it appeared there for a while, but after two years, the sea overtook that again. And you look at the scripture, and the Bible says that God called the land to come out of the water, out of the sea. And the Bible says in that scripture, it says the earth standing in the water and out of the water, talking about the land that God called that up. Listen, the Bible says there's going to be a new thing that happens. You remember when the earth was flooded? 
When the earth was flooded, we understand that the sons went out and they began to go everywhere else. And as they were, Shem and Ham and Japheth went out and did all the things that they did, creating all of these kingdoms and stuff. Before that, what did God say about those people? What God said about the people, he says that they were wicked. He said the sons of God, talking about the believers in God, were marrying the daughters of men, which were not, not right men with God, but they were the sons of Cain, and they were following that and God said now the seed would be messed up and things are wrong he said and it's so evil that it repented God that he even made man and the Bible says what he said they told Noah to build an ark what did Noah do for over those hundred years he said get on the ark God is going to judge us do it do it do it right preach the Bible says in the book of uh, Jude that he did those things and he shared it and preached listen but nobody got on the ark except Noah and his family right but he kept telling them and then you have the idea that you know what happens and they say oh well and then the rains fell down and the rain all flooded the earth and all this stuff but that's not only what the scriptures say it doesn't say that just the rain fell down as we know it did the bible says that when god flooded this earth the rain fell down but the fountains of the deep burst up and if you know anything about science or any, even a, a geology or meteorology or anything like that, you would know even as the fountains of the deep, that's what happens when these volcanoes explode and erupt is that they bring forth that. And that every day that the earth is shifting. And not, not do they shift like this because they can't do that. They wouldn't shift if they did that, Brother Seth. But because the mantle is overriding one another, they're shifting and overlaying one another. Some of them shift this way. Some of them shift over one another. And and some of them, when they collide, if they hit and they catch, they'll cause bad, bad problems. Years ago, there was a tsunami that hit Indonesia. And the reason was is because in the floor of the ocean, what happened was is there's a shift in the earth because the shift is changing and the earth is changing. The earth is trembling at the coming of the Lord God Almighty. The Bible says that the earth trembles and it's like a woman in travail with, with, with uh, uh, contractions before she's finally delivered. And what happened was is whenever the earth did its shifting, it hit together and it went and it shifted downward and all of a sudden when that shifted downward by that earthquake it drew those things down but when it drew it down it shot back up and that wave that began as something small shooting back up by the time that it finally hit the shores did you see what it did to Indonesia? 200,000 people they took bodies and piled them up with dozers and had to burn them because there was so much death it changed everything about that place. Why? Because the watery judgment does that. Do you know there's a theory? There's a guy that was in 1912. His name is uh, Alfred, uh, and, it, and the last name is German. It's, it's Alfred. Yes. And, and he, has a, he has a weird last name. It's Wigner, okay? Wigner, but it's, it, it, they use a V, Wigner, okay? And, and Alfred, he, he was a guy that was a meteorologist, and he had come up with an idea about this shifting. He come up with what we understand today about, it's called continental drifting. And, and we understand that right now, and I'm not trying to be a science major or anything, I'm just trying to show you things about that, yes, science is really cool, but it's only catching up with what God's already said. Okay, and so I'm looking at it. There, there are seven huge tectonic plates right now that they call that they're moving. If you take all of the pieces, the United States, the Americas, and all, and you were to kind of bring them back together and look at them, it's amazing. Go and try it on your map. Go home and mess up a map, cut it up, and put it back together. Okay, but you can put those places back. And they think that because of that, that years they say millions and millions of years ago that that happened and that the continental drift is still going. They claim that it's moving now 
now about 2.5 centimeters per year or 100 centimeters per year. And that this thing is opening and opening and opening. And it's constantly shifting. That's where we get all of the earthquakes. That's where we get all of the tsunamis, all of these things. Because the earth is moving and it's shifting and the floor is alive. And a lot of people laughed at this guy and said, you're an idiot, you're a fool. There's no way that that could have ever happened. They looked at the map and went, well, they kind of go back together like pieces and stuff. But that couldn't have been that way. But we understand in the scripture that there was not a nation, 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 nation in the beginning in the book of Genesis. But there was a land, there was a garden of Eden, there was something that was going on. But we understand that when the flood happened, that the Bible says, if I could do it, my back's hurting me a little bit, but if I could do it, it says the fountains of the deep burst open and you can see it every mountain range that we have. Look at it on the top of uh, uh, the uh, topography graph and the maps and stuff. You would see every mountain range that we have runs what? They'll run north to south in that way. Because why? Because when the fountains of the deep burst open and pushed us away from where we are, the mountains run this way. Those beautiful smoky mountains, the, the rocky mountains, all of that. Why? Because you can see that there was this massive flood that happened at some time. You can see in all of the things that exist that something happened. And so Alfred, he said to himself, don't you like Alfred? Didn't that Batman's butler, right? Hey, Alfred goes out there and he says that he's going to prove it. So he took a geological samples of the soil and of the fossil chain and the fossil line on the shores of the Americas and went all the way to Europe and did the same thing and showed and proved how they pieced together, even with the plant and the fossil record. And people still said he was foolish. But in 1950 and 1960, we found something that actually proved that this guy's theory is really good. And it wasn't the Bible, although I believe in the Bible, right? It was this th huge thing in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean that separates us from the Americas and us from Europe. It is called the Atlantic Ridge or the Atlantic uh, Valley there that comes up and it's in the ocean and that thing shows that something had burst open and had pushed out. It didn't push up, it pushed out and did those things. Church, I'm telling you, people even look at it as what, there's a word you can go look at, it, it's called Pangea and it means all lands. They believe that at one time all of them together and it really explains the flood that when Noah and them got off the ark everything that they had ever known brother Carl was different it was changed and it was new Y'all bear with me. Everything was different. The Bible says this in Revelation 21 and 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. There was a huge body of water and then as everything is separated out, there are many seas that we call them or many bodies of waters that we kind of label and stuff. But I want you to look at that word passed away. You know, we use that word a whole lot because when people die here in the South, we say they've passed away. Because we try to sweeten everything that we say. Instead of just saying they died, we go, well, they passed away. Right? And, and, you know, instead of you saying, oh, did you hurt yourself? The, the ladies around here go, oh, come here, baby, or come here, precious. Right? And so we try to sweeten those things up. Passed away doesn't mean that the earth died or ceased existence or was destroyed. Even Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, what did he say? He said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. But Jesus says, I'll make all things new. How did he make all things new? By fulfilling law. When we say the word passed away, this is a Greek word that's perikoma. You say, how do you remember these things so much? Because I, I thought perikoma, right? And the older people would do that, and the younger people have no idea what I'm talking about. But perikoma, and, and it means to move past something. It does not mean to die or to expire Passed away means to move into something or move toward something or move into something new. 
And the Bible says that the earth will melt with fervent heat. And when that fiery judgment of God, just like the watery judgment of God, changed the whole face of the earth, that fiery judgment of God is going to change the whole face of the earth again. Because he said, I will not flood the earth anymore with judgment, with water. He said, but I will do it with fire and brimstone. And the Bible says that there would be no more sea. And you look at it, I don't know if God's going to dry all of the land up and everything will be that way, but it's going to be no more. The Bible says this, Matthew 5, 18. Verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth shall pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. You know what that means? It didn't mean the law was going to die, but he was saying, I'm telling you what right now. He said, until everything is fulfilled. He said, heaven and earth will pass and move on, but my word will not. Listen to what he says in Matthew 24. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And what he means is, is that heaven and earth may change. The heavens will be changed because they will be new. The earth will change because they will be new. But he said, you can bank on one thing that will never change and that will never move into another position or never move to another person. And that is his word. Amen. There are many people today that claim themselves to be Jesus Christ. Even Sun Young Moon came and told all of these people, all of the followers, the Moonies that followed him. He told all of them that he came and God told him that he needed to accomplish what Jesus Jesus did not fulfill and was not able to fulfill because he died. And that is people taking the word of God and changing it into something else. And Jesus said, heaven and earth will be changed, but my words will never be changed. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 11 said this. He said, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Okay, we're going to go to that word. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? The Greek word here for dissolved is luo. It's L-U-O. It's luo. And it actually means this, to be dissolved. It means that it's to loosen or to unravel a person or a thing. This word right here in the Greek is used in marriage, okay, where it talks about that a husband and a wife or a man and a woman come together in what holy matrimony into the what holy bonds of matrimony. It means that they are bound together, that they are tied together. And the only way that you are to break those bonds is if someone or something unloosens those bonds, but you're bound together and wrapped together. And that's what he says here. He said things would be dissolved. And that word dissolved, luo, means that it has to change everything everything. Here's another use of the word. Look at Revelation 5 verse 5. And one of the elders saith unto me, weep not. Behold the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David hath prevailed to open the book. And look at this word. And to loose the seven seals thereof. You know what the word loose is? It means that all, when God bound up that book and no man, no person, no woman, or anybody on earth could open it up, it says that Jesus had the authority and he had the privilege to go over there, Brother Heath, and he could unwind and unbound the book, amen, and as he was able to loose those seals. The Bible says this, someday we will be loosed from this body. Someday we will be released from the pain and the tie that this body has. He says that this tabernacle, this human dwelling place, skene, remember? Anybody remember what we did? Watch me whip, watch me skene. Huh? The skene, that was the younger people. See, we, we gave the old pericomo to the older people and the skene to the younger people. But the skene means that it's an earthly tabernacle. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians. Man, this is good. It is so good. He said, for we know if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, if our earthly house of this tabernacle was unwound and unloosed, it says we have a building of God, 
a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He said, for in this we groan, we groan, we cry out and earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. We, we cry and say, God, oh God, please, please clothe me with that heavenly clothes, with that heavenly home, Lord. This body groans for deliverance. And he says, if so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. Isn't it great to not be found naked? Amen. Amen. Yes, and I'm thankful that I've not found you naked. Listen, for we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed. He says, not that we're concerned about actual clothing. He said, but we're concerned about being clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life, amen? He says that we have a new place. Here's the second thing. Y'all have to hang on with me, okay? We have a new people. New people. The Bible says... The promise of his presence is found in these scriptures. New people, the, new, these new people have the promise of his presence. Look at verse number three of Revelation 21. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. There's nothing that could be greater than the promise of God's presence with us. There's nothing about your Christian walk that is greater and you need to put more emphasis in prayer and study on than God's presence being with you always. When you're home and you think you're all alone, his presence is there. When you're hurting and you think no one cares, he is there with you. Listen, the tabernacle of God. Isn't it, isn't it reminiscent of John the Baptist's word when John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. In this scripture, the Bible says, a mighty voice out of heaven said, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. The tabernacle, that word tabernacle right there in the Greek is skene. It means that the very body of Jesus Christ is with them. In heaven, we have the very body of Jesus Christ with them. His tabernacle has come to be with men. In the Old Testament, they had to put ram skin and, and sheep skin and, and wooden walls overlaid with gold, Brother Carl. And they, they, they thought the presence of God was there with them in the Holy of Holies. In that room that was 15 by 15 by 15 by 15 by 15 tall. And they looked at all of it and they said, it's the presence of God. But in heaven, look at this, in heaven, he says, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, with mankind. He said, the very skene, the very flesh of God is right there with you. But then look at what it says, and he will dwell with them. The word dwell is from the same root word of skene, but it is this word. Dwell means in the Greek, it says skenao. And you say, what is that? What it means is, is just like when Jesus at that wonderful reception, as he receives his bride, they take that outer garment called the kanaf, and that kanaf is laid upon him, and he receives that woman. And at a certain point in the ceremony of a Jewish wedding, that Jewish husband that is to be, he will take his outer garment, which is just a solid white thing, Brother David, and he will pull that bride over to himself, and he will bring that bride underneath that kanaf, where he is telling the world that I am bringing her close to my heart. I'm going to provide for her. I'm going to care for her. I'm going to help her. I'm going to help us both become what? One together. And we look at that Old Testament word kanaf, which actually is translated as this word right here, wing. 
What it means is, is that husband brings that woman underneath his wing. She's going to have all that she ever needs. And that's exactly what the Bible says about Jesus Christ, that he will bring us underneath his skirt, underneath that kanaf. He will bring us in. And the Bible says, Psalms said, way before we got to Revelation, Psalms, the writer, David said this, that I can go into the underneath the wing of the shadow of the Most High, amen, that he will call me under his wing and bring me in. Isn't that beautiful? We have the promise of his presence. Here's a great thing. We have also the promise of peace. We have the promise of peace. I want you to listen to me before you turn me off. Listen. That young drug addict that's taken the heroin and injected it in their veins and their eyes are dark and cold. And you want to look and say they're just wasting their life and they're just doing no good. Can I tell you what those people are looking for? Peace. Someone tricked them and told them that this would make them feel better. And that it would give him peace. You know what the alcoholic's doing, Seth? Drinking all of his misery away or her misery away? Constantly waking up the next day with a hangover and no money? You know what they're looking for? People are looking for peace. Now, while you want to walk by them and say they're just a good-for-nothing, low-down nothing, God says no. Their, their problem is a heart problem and they need peace. They're searching for peace. What if you, what if you treated that person that's lost in sin, like you were treated when you were looking for peace. And understand that not everybody's the devil and not everybody's a demon and not everybody's just all messed up, just out to kill you and all that stuff. Understand that they're being moved by the devil. You know what Jesus saw in the man that was in the garden tomb that they often chained him up and he cut himself? You know what Jesus saw? He saw a man that needed peace. That man was in turmoil in his heart and in his mind. He said, there are, there are a legion of demons in him. And Jesus gave that man peace that day. The Bible says, look at verse 4. It's beautiful. It says, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. And neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are what? Passed away. They've moved on. I want you to look at this because I don't want you to miss this. I only got just an, another page or so and I will be done. But I don't want you to miss this because most people look at this scripture and then they build this theology, this kind of doctrine about how that when we go to heaven, that we're never going to remember anything that happened on earth. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't believe that the Bible teaches us that we will know as we were known and, and talk about these things if it's not true. And I don't believe that everything that we've done on earth is just forgotten. I think that's what makes heaven even greater because we understand what Jesus did. If we go to heaven and everything that was done on earth is forgotten, then where will be, Brother Heath, the remembrance of the cross and the scars and the nails prints in his hand and in his feet? Where would all that come into play? I think the way that you look at this, you're looking at this a little bit with the flesh instead of understanding what he's actually saying. It says, God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. And what that means is, church, is he's going to come up and listen, we're in heaven, he's no more tears. There's going to be no more tears. Why would there not be any more tears? Look at what this says. It says there's no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, and no more pain. All four of those things are all symptoms of sin. When sin is in our life, we experience all four of these things. And because we will be in a glorified heavenly body, thank the Lord, we will never experience the symptoms or understand being diagnosed with a sinful nature. Because why? Death's done away with. For the believer in heaven, there's no more thoughts of death. 
For the believer in heaven, there's no more sorrow. Listen, death's going to be defeated and thrown into the lake of fire. Sorrow is going to be stopped. Crying's going to be ceased. And listen, all the pain that we could ever think about is going to pass away. All of it. And some people take the scripture and they go, but Brother Steve, well, if I remember things on earth and I will remember my family and if some of them died and they went to hell, I wouldn't be able to enjoy heaven. And you're, what you're doing is, is you're putting your, your physical earthly thoughts into what heaven will be like. And I told you already, you don't know what heaven's going to be like. And you're trying to wrap your mind around something that is heavenly and all we've ever known is earthly things. And so therefore you take the scripture and you kind of maneuver it around to think, well, if, if, I, if, if we go to heaven and we can remember what happened, then, then I'm going to have sorrow because of what, you know, Brent's not in heaven and, and he's not there and I'll be, I'll be sad about that. But you're going to be in a body that's not going to be susceptible to sin. You're going to be in a glorified body that understands the fullness of what? Every opportunity that all people had. And the grace of God. See, heaven is going to be when we take off all of this and put on the new. There's the la last thing right here. I think it's the last thing. It may be. I have like 40 pages. Look what Isaiah told him. He said, he will swallow up death in victory and the Lord God will wipe away all the tears from all the faces, from off all faces. And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth. The Lord has spoken it. And it shall be said in that day, in that day, look, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him. And he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And here's the last thing. We have the promise of his presence. We have the promise of his peace. But we also have the promise of his proposal. You say, what do you mean? The Lord proposed. He's given you a proposition. He's proposed unto you. Every time we give an invitation, every time I try to think of this, and even some people want to take the invitation time out of church and think that's crazy. You need to have, if you preach the word, you need to have people respond. But we try to move the invitation. You know what it's like? It, it's, it's just like this. It's, it's just like Jesus going, you know, I love you. And I can't think of anything that I want more than to be with you. Will you accept me? Will you believe in me? Almost in the sense of a, a man proposing to his future bride and going, will you marry me? Every invitation should be that way. Church, you people that are saved, every invitation you ought to be saying, God, please, Lord, let them listen to the proposal. Let them listen to the proposal. Because every invitation, it should be that God is sitting there. Jesus, his son, is going, I can't think of anything else I want more than for you to be with me. You hearing me? I can't think of anything I want more but you, you know what I said to him? You wouldn't want me. You wouldn't want me. After all the stuff I've done, you wouldn't want me. I can't think of anything more that I would want than for you to be with me. Do you know who you're proposing to? I can't think of anything I would want more. Over and over and over. And he does that proposal. But what I'm so thankful for is that when he gave the proposal to me, that he upheld it, Brother Heath. He upheld his end of the deal. And look at what it says in verse 6. It says, and he said unto me, it is done. On the cross, Jesus Christ said what? Y'all know what he said. It is finished. And what he was saying is, is that it is finished. That means death has been defeated. Sin has been paid for. This part is finished. But he said, I'm going away, Jack, to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. And he even went as far as to say, if it wasn't true, I wouldn't even have said it. And in this, he's coming back. 
And now that heavenly city, the Mount Zion of heaven, the new Jerusalem is coming out of heaven like a bride adorned for her husband. And he says, this is what I've been making. This is what I went away to prepare for you. And man, he's laid it out in a beautiful way. He says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him, look at these words, that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He says, I'll give you the offer to drink as much as you want. He said, listen, I will preserve you also. He says in this scripture, he says, and he that overcometh shall inherit all things and I will be as God and he shall be my son. Do you see those words? He's saying the perseverance of the saints. You're not going to lose your salvation. You just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And you overcome. How do we overcome? By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. But here's the last thing and I have to share this with you. Because this makes us want to go home and go, man, look at what we got, don't it? But he also gives one, this is the final warning. Revelation, the final warning. He says, but the fearful. Who are the fearful? Those who are ashamed of Christ and fear the world and what they're going to say about them more than God. The unbelieving. Who is the unbelieving? Those who have never made a commitment to Christ. The abominable, that means horrible or dreadful or sinful. Murderers, those that shed innocent blood. Whoremongers, those that commit fornication and adultery. Sorcerers, sorcerers, you say, what is that, Brother Steve? That sounds like some kind of magical thing. No, in the Word of God, in the Old Testament, wickedness and sorcery, the word that was translated there is pharmaceutical. And you know what it means? It means pharmaceutical. It's, it's pharmacy. Talking about that they do drugs and they do alcohol and other things that they trust more to relieve their stress and pain than they do the Almighty God to take care of their problems. That's why it says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. He says, idolaters, those who worship false gods, and here you go, mm -mm -mm. and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. How devastating and how hurtful it is to hear all of those promises that we just talked about in the Bible. That he'll give you peace, that he proposes his life to you, that he'll give you all of this stuff, and still, you don't want to do it. You still won't turn from that. Listen, some people today are just like, you know, going to turn him off. And they just, their hearts or consciences are seared. But these are the last warnings. As we finish our Bible study and are, are walking through this in Revelation, this is the last warning. It's not the last call to come, but it's the last warning. And I wonder if it's your last warning. Seriously. I mean, we get pumped up about going to heaven. But you better not think you're going to heaven because of how good you're doing or because you go to church. You need to know you're going to heaven about what he did on the cross. The work was finished at the cross. And the blessings are done when it comes this time. And I'll give you that opportunity. Let me, let me say this and they're going to sing. But seriously, just think of this. Can you actually sing those words? Can you actually say and tell the Lord, there's none like you? With a true heart. Because if you've got other things in the way, then you're not being honest. There's none like you. Lord, above my wife, above my husband, above my children, above my job, above my church, above my pastor, above all these things, there's none like you. None like you. And if there is none like you, then why are you depending on all these other things to make you happy if there's none like Jesus? Don't do that. 
I'll give you an opportunity this morning. If you want to do it there or wherever or while I'm praying, you come down. If you need to come to the altar, just tell him, just talk to him. Just do that. Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. But just to be honest and open with him. That song Andrew sang earlier when they were doing all that stuff talks about, I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all and you still call me friend. Right? Let me pray. Father, we thank you.